wondering what's real. Everything is gonna be okay! If it doesn't scare you to death, it will find another way. And that way might be boredom. Could be. You never know. Don't watch this film. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Don't Watch This Film, the podcast where we watch some of the worst movies in history so that you don't have to. My name is W. Adam Clark. My name is Tia, and today we have a film that sounds, just from the title alone, like it should be exciting or exotic or strange or unique. And do we get that? No. I mean, after a fashion, it's sort of in an indirect kind of... I'll explain in a minute. I'll explain later why, oddly enough, I think you might not have seen the movie that you thought you saw. And when you realize that, it becomes an entirely different film. Oh, God. We have one of those behind the curtains for this. The movie that we're talking about is called Of Unknown Origin, which is based off a short story called The Visitor. And it stars, I'm just going to call, I'm going to call him his character's name, but it's Robocop. And you know the guy. Yeah. Peter Robocop Weller. Absolutely. (laughs) So, and again, of unknown origin, sounds mysterious, sounds spooky, sounds like something you should pay attention to. I didn't get that, but apparently there's something I'm not getting. Well, there isn't, but maybe there is. That's that's the (laughs) tease. Uh, Do you want me to get to describing this? this? Sure. Okay, so the film starts innocently enough with the family. The wife and son are going off on a ski vacation to visit her parents, the son's grandparents, while the dad is taking care of the house and going to work. Twice during the scene, we get a view where something is looking around the house, very close to the floor. We don't see what it is. Then the film switches over to about 10 minutes of business work, which is so riveting, I'm not going to recap it further. Well, I mean, a large part of the film is actually regarding his... As work, he works for a financial firm, and they're doing a major, a couple major projects that are having him stressed out. And a big part of this film is bouncing back and forth between his work life and his exceptionally disturbed home life. And eventually how the two bleed into each other, which honestly is not actually poorly depicted. The film does a really good job of showing him breaking down. We'll get to that. Later, when the dad is back at home, we see what looks like a giant rat hand and a shot of a sewer. There's a scene of the dishwasher getting repaired after a rat, which we don't know is a rat yet, but it is, apparently ate through one of the hoses. And then more business stuff, which is stressing our main character, who is Robocop. In the film, his name is Bart. Bart consults with his eccentric... I'm gonna say exterminator, master, sensei... Guides him on the path towards rat extermination named Cleet. I forget the actor's name who plays him, but he plays him exceptionally well. Uh, Cleet is played by Louis Del Grand, who most people would know from the head explosion meme in Scanners. He Holy played. Holy shit, he's that guy. He's he's the first Scanner. He's that guy. He's the guy whose head explodes. Uh, Holy also, shit. He played Leo in the Sanity Clause in 1990. And was the lead character, uh, Louis Saccone, 
in the TV show Seeing Things for like five years. So you might be familiar with him from any of that. He is chef's kiss in this movie. He really is. <laughs> you think eccentric, pest exterminator, getting into the mind. He's kind of like Christopher Walken's character in Mouse Hunt. Yeah, uh, that's a good shout. I can go with that. <laughs> So Bard proceeds to lay down traps suggested by Cleet to catch the threat, finding later that the traps are practically destroyed. Bites are taken out of them, pieces are torn off. Now these are old-fashioned, bigger mice traps. Basically, you, you put the spring on the thing, you put a little tiny piece of bait on the pressure plate, and then yeah, your, hopefully... Yeah, your baseline, your baseline dollar store rat traps is... You know, that's all that you got. So we're about 20 minutes into the film by the, now at this point, by the way, and nothing overtly exciting has going on. We still have, we have shots of more business dealings interspersed with more scenes about getting better traps that are made of steel to try to catch whatever the hell this thing is. I'm probably making it sound a lot more exciting than what is actually on screen, but you're welcome. I mean, imagine Jaws, but set in a residential house with no swimming and no tourism. Don't bring Jaws into this. I mean, that's just insulting. Yeah, but that was the major influence for this. I mean, this is, it, it's what this is. It is a unseen creature of massive size for its species that is terrorizing a specific bottle area. This is Jaws. The rat version. Oh, the mental image is a lot funnier than what we got. Proceeding, Bartz is spending a lot of his free time at the library researching rats, what awful creatures they are, the damage they cause to people and property. I believe one of the articles was titled Lapdogs of the Devil. Lapdogs of the Devil. I know. Best title ever. In case you're thinking clickbait is something new. Oh, no, 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 no. Not at all. Now, clickbait is the only thing that's new about clickbait is that it's no longer in the New York Times. That's the only difference. Sensation. Sensationalist titles have always been sensationalist titles. At work, the stressful situation keeps climbing, and Bart is starting to only focus on the rats to the point where Bart has an agreement to speak with his wife, Meg, over the course of their vacation. This is the second time that Meg has called in, and Bart literally refuses to talk to his wife, which... I would think it's a huge red flag if that was me. One would think that. At an important business dinner, and it's important to remember, this is part of a huge setting up for a promotion for Bart. If he goes through the deal correctly, if he gets what the firm needs to get in order to make a lot of money, he stands to promote an entire position above, something like 20 Gs added to his salary, paying off his mortgage. So there's, they established right at the beginning, there are some stakes to the somewhat boring business transactions that are actually going on. Yeah, I mean, it's very much a, a high finance, high stakes kind of thing. And that plays into the psychological horror of the film in that in the midst of this high pressure scenario, he has a quote unquote invading force that he has to deal with in his home life. So at a business dinner that's actually set up for one of the people that are going to be part of this deal, part of what's going to turn into large promotion, rats are all Bart can talk about. He goes through their history, how much damage they cause, puts everyone off their dinner. It's actually kind of disturbing to hear him how monotoned and single-minded and focused he is because this is where the film starts depicting him breaking down. This is Peter Weller at, the, at his Peter Welliest right here. Did you know that rats blah, 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 $18 million worth of damage. I'm just speaking perfectly monotone into a, into a camera the entire time. Oh, I'm discussing all of these absolutely hard things. It's almost 
surrealist almost yes it's and the reason why it's not surreal is you have one surreal acting person in a room with six people looking at each other going is this fucker on cocaine so it kind of balances and keeps you in the shot without going into surrealism uh bart then returns home to check the traps doesn't find anything until he hears some squealing and skittering thumbs coming from upstairs after trying and failing to find a professional exterminator bart goes up to trying various types of poisons because the traps are doing nothing during the next night bart has to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and finally at 32 minutes in comes face to face with the rat in where else if you're going to make a psychological horror film the face, toilet face to penis with the rat i was just going to say in the toilet but if you want to phrase it like that that works well it's kind of important because in the next scene they go into the fact that rats attack people in soft tissue areas so they will attack the neck they will attack the eyes they will attack the genitals because they're areas where it's easier to debilitate someone easier to take out a much larger threat and areas that generate the most heat so they're easier to find easiest to carve meat off of yeah, too. E easiest to cut through because they're not they're not protected in any way now i do want to mention as much as we've been building up this invading force and as much of an unknown origin would make you think it's not a mutated rat it's not a zombie rat it's not a rat that's been injected with super serum it's just a rat just a rat. That's, that's, okay. To be fair, it is just a New York City rat, and it is an exceptionally sized New York City rat. For those of you who don't live in New York City, a New York City brown rat, on average, will measure 16 to 20 inches in length. Holy God. This is an exceptionally large New York City rat. In fact, it is larger than a cat. So assume this one is somewhere between 24 to 30 inches in length. That's a big fucking rat. Yes. Again, so, the analogy of Jaws. It is a a predator but it is 50% larger than predators of that species should be so you kind of get that whole jaws thing going again yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually right after this transaction the ride immediately starts going to work on cabling in the house almost like it's sentient like it's trying to mm -hmm. go after stuff that the main protagonist will find useful lighting water etc keep that in mind when i come back to this later Remember that, that the rat was nearly sentient and went after things that were important to the protagonist. I will keep that in mind. Okay. The next day, Bart goes into work. We have maybe a five-minute scene, and then we immediately cut back to him changing up his traps and his poison. He sets them all around the house again in other areas because the first round and the second round, and I think we're up to the third round, didn't work. We're at about 39 minutes in at this point, and I started wishing Amazon had a 2x speed play feature because, again... We're making it sound so much more exciting than what's on the screen. It's, it's a very slow build. It's a psychological horror film from the late 70s, early 80s era. So it is a very slow burn film. And it is a slow burn film without a pushing soundtrack and score. If you have ever seen footage of Jaws with the score removed and how absolutely mind-numbingly droll jaws is without john williams that's this movie i was just gonna say we needed john williams to save unknown origins it would have like take any scene from this movie play jaws music underneath and it becomes three times better of a film because that's what made jaws three times better of a film it had john williams oh god that's so true and then finally finally at the 40 minute mark as bard is searching the basement the rat attacks we get something exciting i'm well... sorry i was bored 
I was bored here too. You, you, I, I know you said exciting. it wasn't as boring, but it's it's no. It's even when the rat is in full close up, we're hearing screeching, we're hearing clawing, we're hearing screaming. I was still sitting there going, This is not grabbing me. Yeah, that's then totally fair. So, and this is the part where I had an issue because I will say this right now, I am a cat lover, and what happens is sad. So Bart finds a stray who is the most well-behaved not stray in the face of the planet, but we're supposed to believe it's a stray cat to try to bump off the rat while his mental health and his work performance are suffering. They are very, very explicit that he is coming in late to work. He is missing meetings. He's not on his A-game where he's in a high-stakes business situation where you would want to be on your A-game and nothing else. Absolutely. I even said when we were watching this, having a history in finance, this is the situation situation where in the real world you call an army of exterminators you get a hotel room for two weeks you know your wife is gone your kid is gone there's no one else in the house you wouldn't be either you would be at a extended stay america for two weeks focused on nothing but getting this business deal done and in two weeks when it was done you would go back to those exterminators and well you, you found the fucking thing right this is what a sane rational person keep that in mind in this situation would do in the real world obviously Part of what makes horror movies horror movies is people do dumb shit that you wouldn't do in the real world. But I'll tie this back in later. Mm -hmm. So at the 54 minute mark, somehow this rat that, again, is larger than average, has killed this cat and dragged its dead carcass to the top of the refrigerator so that Bart can find it. Well, to be fair, we don't know that the rat didn't just kill the cat on top of the refrigerator. It's okay, a place, that's fair. It's a place where a cat would perch, especially if hunting or being hunted, and then could have died in that spot. So I think, I think you know, Occam's Razor, Either, okay. that's more likely that the fight happened on top of the refrigerator than Super Rat drug the cat there for it to be found in a drip scare. Tying back into the sentience thing, but that actually makes a lot more sense. Later on, Bart's secretary goes to his house to check on him as Bart's been, again, falling asleep at work, has a lot of rat materials in his briefcase very mentally off his game which is not like him they establish he's usually very quick very on point there's a reason he's gotten this promotion as a somewhat young professional he doesn't look like he's he's in his 50s or anything like that bart sends her away and then we start seeing scenes of him dressing and training like bart is preparing to go to war yeah it's, it's very... literally like the rocky the rocky workout <laughs> montage Yes, absolutely it is. Eventually, the rat finally gets around to cutting the power to the house. One of the main power lines gets chewed out. I don't know how the rat didn't fry its ass, but movie happens. Going down to the basement to try to see if he can reroute the power, he trips down the stairs and the rat starts clawing at him, actually drawing blood. We see clothes ripping. It's meant to be a very intense scene. After another interaction with Bart's boss, basically saying, I'm not going to be working on this at the moment. I need to take care of this at home. If you want to give it to somebody else, Else, that's fine. If you want me to work on it, I have to take care of this first. Apparently, he's in a position to do that because his boss manages to negotiate two more weeks of work on the deal before the actual meeting happens. Bart goes home then and begins destroying his house. Literally to get this rat, he soups up a baseball bat with nails, pieces of rat trap. It is the most <laughs> awesome spiky bat you have ever seen in a movie. Without question. <laughs> And that is basically it until the one hour and 24 minute mark where after he wrecks everything he's worked so hard to build because they make a point that he's built this entire house from the ground up. Yes, I know that's a psychological reference. Yes, I know we're coming back to it. 
he finally gets the damn thing. Yep. Finally, we see a scene of a nail getting embedded in its chest, bleeding. He hits it until we're damn sure the thing is dead. Family comes home, movie ends. Yes. That's it. That's, that is Unknown Origins in a 15-minute nutshell. It is. Okay. <laughs> so, a uh, little bit of numbers on this one. And honestly, this is the first movie that we've talked about so far in this series to do something with its box office numbers. And uh, I'll go into that in a second because okay. this movie was not successful. So you don't say unknown origin rating R was released November 23rd, 1993. The genre is psychological thriller. The director is George Cosmatos, better known for Rambo first blood part two in 1985 Leviathan in 1989 and tombstone in 1993. Fun fact. Two of those movies are in my personal top 100 tombstone. One of them. Cause tombstone is amazing. Tombstone is one of them. The producer was Pierre David or Pierre David best known for scanners in 1981 video drone in 1983 and the brood oh. in 1979. So people video drone we're going to get to. Oh yeah. And scanners probably. I mean, so we, you're talking about directors and producers that know how to do good movies, know how to do horror, know how to do psychological storylines, know how to do drama. This is a film that was entirely in their wheelhouse. They got the right director and the right producer for the job. Budget, $4 million. Box office gross, $1.08 million. Ouch. This is the first movie that we've talked about that did not cover its expenses. And... It's kind of amazing that Peter Weller went on to have the career he did because this is his first time as a lead and his movie bombed. It's kind of surprising that George Cosmatos went on to get the work that he did because this is only like his second time as a director and the movie bombed. Everything that he's known well for was after this. So we almost lived in a world where we had Kurt Russell as RoboCop and perhaps David Ayer directing Tombstone. Like you could have had an entirely different cinematic universe because of this movie. And fortunately, somehow those situations got avoided. The runtime is one hour and 29 minutes. Rotten Tomatoes has a critical score of 57% with an audience score of 40%. And IMDb gives the movie a 6.1. As far as actors, this movie doesn't have a lot of that $4 million spent on the acting talent. The movie stars Peter Weller, who, as we said, this was his first lead. He's best known for Robocop, but that would not be for many, many years. Co-stars Shannon Tweed as Meg Hughes, best known for her appearances in Falcon Crest in 1981, being the Playboy Playmate of the Year in 1982, and being married to Gene Simmons for the last decade and being happily unmarried to him for 20 years before that. Uh, Lawrence Dane also plays Elliot Riverton, who is Peter Weller's boss, probably best known as Brandon Keller in Scanners in 1981, or Lieutenant Preston in The Bride of Chucky in 1998, or Dr. Alfred Hathaway in Darkman 2 in 1995. And again, as we already mentioned, Louis Delgrand steals the show in this movie. Without him, this movie is not as good of a movie, hands down. So, Tia, $4 million budget, $1 million at the box office, a Jaws movie that is not a Jaws movie. What went wrong with Unknown Origins? Oh boy. Well, I feel like I'm just pointing a spotlight on the elephant in the room, so let's just get it out of the way first. Go for it. As it is depicted in this film, rats aren't scary. Uh, rats are scary. Rats are very scary. Rats are not scary. <laughs> you have never lived in New York. Rats are fucking terrifying. So I, and I'm 
going to argue probably a lot of people don't have the necessary external reference to put the fear in the proper place in this movie. Now, problem that I will one. agree with you. I think that this is a movie, the psychological element of this movie hits harder if you live in Los Angeles, New York, Philadelphia, a major metropolitan area where rats are scary. I think if you don't, then it misses. But by the same token, you can make the same argument about fucking sharks. However, sharks are visibly terrifying. They are huge. They have teeth. We have seen blood in the water. Rats, comparatively, diminutive size, smaller teeth, furry, which is a little disarming. I can see where okay. one one would be more relatable as a fear. I can follow your logic with that. We're good. Now, as far as where the $4 million budget went, unless they had to build the set out of nothing, which they possibly did, did, although the building looks like it's been in the place they're filming for years. They have two major set locations, a business office, which I don't know it would take $4 million to rent that out for the amount of time they needed to shoot. Most definitely not. And the internal of the house, which is a living room, kitchen, upstairs bedroom, bathroom, and basement. And that's basically all we see I mean, of it. I think all of that was built on a soundstage, not using the colonial era brownstone that you see. So, I mean, the building was just an external shot, but yeah, it, it didn't cost you even a million dollars to build that set. There's no question about that. Which leads to the question, so if they were trying to set up this very spooky, very scary, very intense psychological horror atmosphere, where did the money go for that? It wasn't in the set design. Was it in the rat puppet? Although a lot of the scenes look like they're using shots of actual rats. Well, I what? there were some physical rats, but a lot of it actually was animatronics and practical effects. Again, okay. I don't know that that's enough to justify the budget. I don't know where the money went. Maybe Shannon Tweed was more expensive than we thought to get because she was coming off of Playmate of the Year. I mean, maybe... She's not even in that much scenes, though. Yeah, but it's her first role, so she can't act. That's why she's not in a bunch of scenes. <laughs> she basically has to play herself, so not a big deal. Okay, um, that's that's fair enough. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know where the money got spent. I do know that this movie looks like it should have been able to be done for less than $4 million. Oh, goodness, yes. God, $2 yeah. million, three at the tops. But even still, even, even it wouldn't if, have covered its cost. Even if that mostly is going into Peter Weller's budget, which, which again, I don't even first think... time lead, he's not going to cost you a million dollars. He's going to cost you low six figures. So primarily, I think where the where the film went wrong was a lack of, like I said, relatability. You live in a major metro area. This film's going to make a lot more sense to you. If you don't or don't have experience with rats, it's not going to hit the way that I think the director thought it was going to be. It's not going to be as universal as I think the director thought it might end up being. Oh, I mean, and part of that was there was a giant rat craze in New York in like 1981 and 82, which is when the book came out. I did a little bit of research on it. There was a massive rat that was discovered. It was like 22 inches long, so it was freaking huge. Right around the same time in the 80s, you have all of these movies coming out where alligators in the sewers, rats in the sewers, things living in the sewer systems. Like this was an urban terror. This was very much a fear of people in the early 80s that in the ground beneath them, in the darkness where you can't see, things were growing to massive size and would attack you in the night in your house and eat you. This was very much a fear. I also do know that the actual 
I don't know how much it happened. I think the numbers might have been overreported because the media loves to <laughs> exaggerate. Who knew? But I do know that there was a sequence where at least a few homes were invaded by rats coming up through the drain pipes, i.e. the toilet. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a thing. So this movie does what a good psychological horror needs to do. It didn't succeed at it, but it did the things it needs to do. It took existing underlying fears, blew them up to cinematic proportions, and then made a movie about it. Like, it's pretty reasonable. Another reason that I think it doesn't hit is Peter Weller is very good at what he is asked to do in this role. His line delivery is spot on, if a bit flat. He is very expressive and emotive when he needs to be, i.e. when he's hunting the damn thing or when he's scared shitless by it. And as depicted, while his character's mental health is slowly suffering. Yes. Because this ends up being all he can think about. However, comma, that same exceptional delivery and monotone speech, if you're listening to it for an hour and 20 minutes can be a little off-putting and a little tiny degrading. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're listening to NPR radio. I have often described Peter Weller as Nicolas Cage without goofy faces, and it's because they both have that, that very simple, very straightforward radio voice. Peter Weller is going to give you information just like this, which is why he was perfect to play an automaton named Robocop, because they didn't have to worry about removing any emotion from his voice, because his regular voice is just right here. He is very... Very on tone, very on beat, very straightforward. You know exactly what you're going to get when Peter Weller is talking to you. And it's never going to deviate from this point here until he goes insane. And like, he only has those two settings. He goes from straightforward, your move, creep. And he goes from that to, I'm going to kill this rat. And like, there's nothing in between, but that's Peter Weller. You know that going in, that that's what you're going to get. You hire for that if that's what you want, and you hire someone else if it's not. I don't even think they necessarily knew, because this was one of the first film roles that he had had. So they didn't have necessarily, maybe the director thought, okay, this setting, this premise, psychological horror will give him room to flex his acting muscles. Maybe. Emote more, things like that. I don't necessarily think they had the point of reference. Although, I will say, after seeing this, they absolutely had a point of reference for casting him as Robocop. I agree. I literally (laughs) think the reason why he got the role in Robocop was because of this movie. Because... If they wanted somebody that could do deadpan in extreme scenarios, and Peter Weller managed that really, really well in this one, so sure, why not? Absolutely. Now, you did mention that there were two points. There's probably more because we're going to go into it. But you did mention you wanted to bring up the rat starts to work on the cabling and the resources in the house as if it's thinking like a human being, and you mentioned something about that. Okay, so we have now discussed the movie that you think you saw. I'm about... To blow your mind. Are you ready for this? Absolutely. In the words of Morpheus, what if I told you there was no rat? I want you to take this movie and replay this back in your head under the following premise. Okay. A married, successful financial consultant who feels second place because his in-laws make more money than him. His in-laws like own a ski resort. Mm. He is an alpha male who is out alphaed by his wife's father. Mm -hmm. She leaves to go visit her dad for the summer on last minute notice. They make a point of saying that it's last minute notice, Mm. which means he's not even alpha in his own home. He jumps. She says how high. Right. Now he goes to work. The project he has been working on 
is removed from him, albeit so he can get a better project, but he has no control over the dossiers he's working on. And the new project he's given is a massive project that will make or break his career, and he has two weeks to do it. Mm -hmm. Exceptionally high pressure, exceptionally high stakes, while he's already feeling pressure at home. And that's even assuming that we assume that there's no issues with their marriage, because there's no reason for us to assume there's issues with their marriage, because nothing in the film suggests that there is issues with their marriage. Right. Okay. With the exception of two lines that he says to his secretary about his wife not appreciating him at home and an argument about someone in the house always feeling second place. Was that the line where the secretary says your wife must love living here or something to that effect? And he goes, I don't know you about that. You'd have to ask her. Yes. It's that conversation. Okay. So we, we don't know that they have marital stress, but we do know that they have a lack of communication. And he does make a point of saying that he literally built the house from the ground up, laid the, the, floor by hand did the electricals did the tile right. did the insulation so he literally has his entire sense of oh okay you, continue you're coming around i see it okay so you have a man who in his home in his marriage and in his workplace is all being challenged at the same time and all of the things that he would normally use as touchstones to keep himself in a stable mental position are removed in act one. His wife and his kid. He says repeatedly, his kid is the center of his life. His kid is the thing that keeps him going. Mm -hmm. His kid's removed from the scene. You have an exceptionally driven person who is exceptionally stressed and everything that keeps him stable is removed. Now, the only thing that people see of the rat is damage the rat does. When Cleet comes over, he sees damage to the dishwasher. Now, mm -hmm. remember, they also say the dishwasher just got rebuilt about a month ago. Mm -hmm. So that means they already had problems with that machine, mm -hmm. which could also be the source of the damage to the cables, either repairing the damage or the original damage itself. The dishwasher could have been damaged by something other than the rat. Mm -hmm. In fact, Peter Weller is sure it was something other than the rat. Cleet goes on about how it's definitely rat damage. He's got rats. He's got mice. He's got something. Okay. Mm -hmm because that's Cleet's universe from the building that he maintains. He's an exterminator. His first thought is going to be pest. Right. So you now have a stressed, pushed-to-the-brink person with no grounding around them being told that the house they built by hand, rebuilt by hand, is being contested by vermin. The rat, which no one ever sees but him becomes the outlet for all of his stress and anger. All of the damage done in the house that you see at the end when he's leaving, very Stanley Kubrick-like, mm -hmm. was damage Peter Weller did. When he's walking out to greet his wife, all of the damage you see was damage Peter Weller did. None of the damage that the rat was purported to do. Anytime that Peter Weller's character shows anyone else like Cleet the damaged traps and everything, they're after the fact. We don't know how those traps got damaged. We have the input from a unreliable narrator that a rat did it. But we also know that Peter Weller has access to an entire tool shed in his basement with a lot of power tools. And he knows how to use tools. And he use, knows how to use enough stuff that he built the house from scratch, redid the wiring, redid the floors, redid the plumbing, redid the tiling. He, he's a handyman. He knows how to use tools. So he could easily have damaged all of the things that the rat was purported to damage in his damaged psychological state. The rat begins to physically attack, and again, only him, when he is afraid that he's going to lose his position at work, vis-a-vis -vis when his stress level creeps even higher. Then 
he has a dream where his child is poisoned because of the rat poison that he has, and his wife is attacked by the rat because the rat is a psychological disturbance. These dreams push him over the edge to where he makes the spiky bat of doom and goes into the basement, attacking a number of objects in the basement, and then kills the rat and comes upstairs. Important to note, the last thing that happens before he goes into the basement to deal with the rat is his secretary comes by and lets him know that they have a two-week extension, Mm -hmm. meaning the majority of his stressors at work just got alleviated. He has double the time to work on the project that he thought he did. A project where if he has that amount of time, he's going to be able to knock it out of the park. He's going to make that extra 25000 a year. He's going to be able to pay off his mortgage almost immediately. He's going to be able to have wealth not the same as but comparable to, at the same age, his wife's father. Mm-hmm. And everything is going to be fine. He manages to hunt and kill the rat after getting a mental support that his boss has faith in him is looking out for him, and everything is going to be fine. His work stress completely abates. Then he goes into the basement and goes all commando on the rat, killing the rat in a place where no one else can see the rat, only the damage that he does to the basement, and then comes upstairs. Maybe the rat's dead, maybe the rat's not. And then his wife shows up, and his kid shows up meaning that everything that makes his life stable has returned. Yes, this is also the horror trope of returning to normalcy at the end of a film. How So there's that angle to it, too. Mm-hmm. However, you can support the idea that the quote-unquote rat is now dead because his life returns to normal. So Holy shit. I offer to you the reason why this is Stephen King's favorite horror movie of all time is because there is... No rat. The entire movie is one man's descent into madness. If you read the meta text. Is that also part of it could be an influence as well, but is that also tying into the Moby Dick references? Absolutely. Think about it. Moby Dick is literally an allegory for a man's pride and fears of no longer being relevant, killing him. And Moby Dick is referenced multiple times in this movie. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Captain Ahab had a whale, except Captain Ahab's whale wasn't the whale. Captain Ahab's whale, metaphorically speaking, was the knowledge that this was probably his last time he would be able to ship out as a captain because he was old and his health was failing. And he was about to no longer be the thing that he had been for 30 years and had no idea what his life could be if he wasn't whaling. He didn't want to find out what was next. He was afraid. Holy shit. (laughs) So I offer you, there was no whale. There was no rat. There is no spoon. Everything in the movie that's not with someone else on the screen with Peter Weller exists solely in Peter Weller's head. Two questions then. One. In the scene where the secretary brings up the fact that, you know, your wife must be very, you know, happy here, proud here, what have you. Uh When he's about to go in to kiss her, because he does, they both hear the thumping and skittering from upstairs. They they hear a noise. They hear a noise. She looks at him and says, what's that? And he says, house sounds. Guess what? That's a 200-year-old brownstone. It's very likely it was just house sounds. Absolutely. Okay. Second thing, after the point where the stress would have started to abate... Before he ends up killing the rat, 
he trashes the entire house. If his stress is abating, why would he still go and do that? Dynamic release. As his stress level is coming down, he is now in a position where he can try to assert dominance. So he asserts dominance. This is my sandcastle. I can knock it over if I want. Is that also part of the reason that after the fact, as the very last thing he does before he goes to greet his wife, he just knocks over an untouched blue vase? Yep. The one thing in the room that hadn't been damaged, he looks at it and goes, fuck it, knocks it over. Assertion of dominance. It's my vase. I can break it. I bought it. I'll get another one. I'll yeah. get another one that looks just like it. I'll buy four of them. Fuck it. I'm going to have 20, 25 grand more. There is no rat. The entire movie is about, again, during the rat scare, uh, we, we discussed this before, horror movies often exist within a very temporal zeitgeist, playing on people's rational or irrational fears of the day. If you were a New Yorker in, 1991, in 1981, 1982, 1983, Giant Rat was a fucking scare. So, mm -hmm. he is as he is a New Yorker, that's in the back of his head. He's getting told by the landlord slash intendant of the, the building next to his, that they will destroy everything. They'll eat everything. They, you know, they'll just, they wreck everything. And, then and females are more vicious. And females are more vicious. And lo and behold, exactly what Cletus says is going to happen, happens from Peter Weller's point of view. But all we ever see is that damage. In fact, when he has somebody come over to the house, he leaves out a key and he hides a check so that a exterminator can come and collect that and deal with the rat while he's at work, okay? Right. Rational mm -hmm. thinking. He gets the exterminator on the phone. The exterminator bitches that he got there and there was no check. Peter Weller goes to where he left the check. The check is not there. It is disturbed a short distance away, torn up by rat teeth. Mm -hmm. However, again, if you remove what Peter Weller knows and we go only with what the exterminator knows, which would be a reliable narrator versus an unreliable narrator, which I'm claiming Peter Weller is, Mm -hmm. An exterminator was told over the phone, the key will be in this place, the check will be in this place. He got there, the key was where he said it would be, the check wasn't. By the way, they make a point of showing you the record player that the check was supposed to be on. Mm -hmm. There's no damage to the record player. There's no teeth marks on the lid to that record player, which was closed. So mm -hmm. why wasn't the check in it? The answer is Psycho Bart Hughes never put the check there or he put the check there and then in an altered state removed it so that the exterminator wouldn't be able to get paid. So the exterminator wouldn't look around. So the exterminator wouldn't go, dude, you don't have a rat. You need a fucking straitjacket. There's no damage in this building that isn't done by you. Holy shit. <laughs> it's tight. It, granted, this is a film theory. This is a fan theory. You can argue that none of this is supported in the movie. You can also argue that all of this is supported in the movie. So, again, altered state, I can, I can understand. That makes sense. Okay. But humans, in an altered state or not, have a base level of self-preservation. In the scene where he's in the model house checking for the trap, it's moved and he shoves his hand into it. And physically we see him bleeding like his hand almost got torn in half. Right. Even in an altered state, your brain remembers what it does, at least subconsciously. Why would it have voluntarily put himself in a position to get damaged in that way? A, if he is in the middle of some kind of schizophrenic break, the part of his brain that is going to be trying to make sure that he stays safe is not the part of his brain that remembers where the trap got moved to. And he can't see the trap. That's why he's feeling around for it. 
Okay. B, even that set aside, I mean, I've accidentally caught my thumb moving mousetraps around. Like, it's a thing that happens. They're sensitive. He may not have actually intentionally been trying to catch his hand in the jaws of death mousetrap, but maybe he was just feeling around because he couldn't remember exactly where he left it because his brain's all kinds of fucked up right now. And maybe when he was feeling around, his hand set off the trap, like you do. I mean... I would like to think that I'm not in that much of an altered state of mind, and I've done it, so it's fairly that's reasonable. A, okay, that's not a far breach, necessarily. Right, that's an, that's an unfortunate happenstance, and unfortunate happenstances will happen to people who are mentally disturbed, because it's easier for an unfortunate thing to happen when you're mentally disturbed. It checks. Well, I will also point out <laughs> that every place where the rat attacked Peter Weller was someplace that was clothed for the rest of the movie. Anywhere that he had bites or scratches or claw marks were mm -hmm. places where he would normally have to have that area covered when dealing with anyone else, so no one else even saw proof that he got attacked by a rat. At no time is the existence of the rat verifiable by anyone other than Bart Hughes. And in your experience in filmmaking, film watching, depicting it in this way was a deliberate aesthetic choice by the director. I feel so. I feel that the reason why nothing is ever validated, no one else sees anything, no one else knows anything, aside from Cleet, who is rat-obsessed, and Bart Hughes, who becomes rat-obsessed, the reason why no one sees the rat, the reason why no one sees damage caused by the rat, aside from, you know, the traps that Bart Hughes shows to Cleet, is to establish that psychological gambit. The idea that maybe the movie we're watching isn't the movie we're watching. And maybe the movie we're watching is a man slowly unraveling due to the amount of stress he has at work and due to the fact that he has no support in his home life and that his normal living situation has been completely uprooted. Remember, I said that this movie was a Jaws allegory, but you can also make it a Shining allegory. You just have to decide which homage you're watching, but they both work. Holy hell. <laughs> so. When you hear that, that's the sound of Tia's mind being blown. Yup. <laughs> oh, God. Now you almost want to go and watch this movie again, but you're like, fuck no, it's too boring. <sighs> <laughs> well, it's, it's not boring if I watch it like that. Shit. Okay, so... Interesting thought. I had this thought about 15 minutes into the movie, by the way, which is why the rest of the movie was so much more satisfying for me. Because I'm sitting there I going... I absolutely understand why. Yeah, I'm sitting there watching this movie, you know, the, the same way you watch The Sixth Sense, looking mm -hmm. for validation that anyone else sees what's going on. Mm -hmm. And at no point did anyone else see what was going on. Even people who were literally in the house, all they saw was the damage that the might have been did. done by a rat. Yeah. But... I mean, most of what they saw was broken things, things strewn about on the floor. That's all Bart. Like the only person that saw the torn up magazine was Bart. The only person that saw the chewed up mail was Bart. Everyone else saw damaged traps when Bart delivered them to someone or saw broken things and strewn about things in the house. All of that is easily done by a human. Holy crap. <laughs> There's no rat. The rat's oh, in his God. mind. <laughs> so, so who's going to like this movie? <laughs> having blown your mind with that, who's going to like this movie? <laughs> if you're a Peter Weller fan, all 12 of you, definitely watch this movie. Um, <laughs> if you are nostalgic for an 80s New York vibe, because trust me, 80s New York vibe is a very specific vibe. And... This movie has it in spades, the decor, the clothing. Like I even commented when I was watching this, I commented to Tia, I miss the sounds of 80s New York. 
like the streets just there's a certain tone and they pick that up with a couple on street shots in this movie you know, like if you know what that sound is you hear it and you recognize it mm-hmm. um if you are a louis del grand fan all two of you you absolutely <laughs> need to see this movie because he is swinging for fences in this thing psychological horror which i until 20 minutes ago didn't think this movie was right <laughs> yeah it, now that you've heard this head canon if you want to see if that tracks you should watch this movie uh, yes. if you're not interested in that don't watch this if you want a movie that has some good jump scares but you want a psychological thriller or psychological horror movie that doesn't have a lot of gore in it this is a good this movie is- I would compare this, not compare it, but like put it in the same category as Leprechaun, preschool's first psychological horror movie. Yeah, yeah, ba- baby, baby's first psychological horror. Not a bad, not a bad shout. It's not gory, it's not gritty, it's not over the top. Which again, I think is part of the reason why it didn't do as good as in the box office. Eighty three. This is right at the the height of like slasher films and gore fest and Fangoria mm-hmm. is like rising to prominence. I think this was too tame and clean for the primary horror audience of that day they're thinking more freddy jason stuff like that this is more david cronenberg's wheelhouse yeah but again imagine david cronenberg but without body horror and and that's what you've got like very very psychological again especially if you go in going is there really a rat is there really a rat is 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 there even a rat or is this just in his head and to that end peter weller's performance as you would expect in a psychological thriller whether there is a rat or not gets more and more unraveled as the movie goes on Mm. he's ready to go every morning before his wife's up then shifts to he's shaving at work because he didn't get ready in time to leave then he's given up shaving and he's Mm. got a five o'clock shadow there are many subtle opportunities to show the character's mental state is unraveling that are shown and never discussed so mm-hmm. you have to actually look to see these things happening 70s 80s era psychological horror a lot more was left unaddressed that the audience had to notice for themselves to try to worm into the audience's brain and with the pedigree you said this movie has at the beginning with the producers with the director and with the people on set it becomes a lot harder to say this was not intentional right holy shit i mean again <laughs> Rambo First Blood Part 2, Leviathan, Tombstone. Those are three movies that have a very specific psychological or emotional subtext that runs through the film and informs the actions of the characters. Damn. So to say that he didn't do it here, I probably that would be a stretch. I'm willing to say he didn't do it as well. Sure, he hadn't fully nuanced how to make that work yet. And that's why it's not seen to the same caliber as the rest of his portfolio. I'll give it to you. But I think you can really bite into the idea, if you'll excuse the pun that I didn't realize I was making, that there is no rat. This is falling down. 10 years earlier, except that the protagonist doesn't go on a rampage through the city and instead just stays home and beats up his own house. Oh, rating, this is going to be fun. Yep, because now you've got to rate it on the movie that you saw or the movie that I told you that I saw. Yep. Which way are you going to go? <laughs> so, at Don't Watch This Film, we use a rather unique scoring system, lovingly known as the DWTF meter. On the DWTF meter, every film scores a one, because let's face it, you shouldn't watch any of these films. However, the important thing is one out of what? One out of one is a lost classic that everyone needs to see, and I'm not saying that's what this is. One out of two is a great movie that is horribly flawed, all the way down to a one out of ten, which was that absolute piece of shit that we watched last week. <laughs> <sighs> 
still not over. I will not be over Video Dead for quite some the time. The scars are so deep. Oh, <laughs> deeper than anything in that movie. So, Tia, would you like to go first or second? Would you like some more time to rethink this now? Oh, uh, no, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and go first. Okay. I, as I have said numerous times, we can't judge the movie that might have been or would have, could have, should have. We have to judge the movie that we got. Right. However, right now, I'm not sure about the movie we fucking got. <laughs> I was absolutely going to go one way with this, and now I have to look at this movie completely differently and go another way with right. this. God damn it, Adam. Can I ask you what <laughs> score you were intending to give the movie when you thought it was just a simple, non-meted text? One out of eight. Okay. Just one out of eight. When I thought it was just, before this just blew my mind, uh, simple, boring, meandering story about a guy who is dealing with a rat. Nothing. Yeah. And it was just tedious to sit through. I didn't enjoy it the first time, clearly. I was going to give it a one out of eight for that movie. Right. This movie over <laughs> here came out of the fucking wings. I can't give that a one out of eight. There's no way in hell I can give it a one out of eight. Yeah, the movie that I told you that you watched that you didn't realize you watched, that's the kind of movie you like to watch. Yes, it is. And you missed so, it. I did. Oh, God. How did I? Oh, jeez. Oh, give me a few more years doing this. I'll, I'll pick up on it eventually. The movie that I thought I watched initially of Unknown Origin, I would have given a one out of eight. This is, you know, coherent storyline. The acting is very good. The cinematography is very good. I wouldn't have thought it was anything special. Don't bother wasting your time on it. This other movie that I now think I watched, and I might have to go back and watch it again, damn it. <laughs> this is something that I would give a one... Oh, God. This is something I would give a one out of two for, because that is the shit I love watching. Wow. Her. From one out of eight to one out of two. <laughs> Looking at it through that lens is like the sort of psychological horror I love to watch. It's the stuff I think about days after it's over and is not the movie that I thought I saw until he explained it to me. <laughs> I would love to see somebody remake this movie, doubling down on the meta text so that you're really, really not sure. Like, this was as doubled down as they would get in the early 80s, but I would want some real, real double downs. Like, when he's walking through the kitchen, you see a knife on the counter that has mm -hmm. some blood on it. Mm -hmm. And you see that in the scene after he gets attacked by the rat and has to, like, bandage his arm or something. But you never actually saw the knife in any way where something would have gotten cut by it so that you really reinforce that weight. Is this saying that there wasn't a rat and that he cut himself to make the marks? Or are we just saying that this is a continuity issue because of a deleted scene and there was a scene where something would have gotten stabbed by the knife, but we didn't get a chance to see it and do like fuck with the audience's head like that. I would love to see somebody take this movie, repurpose it for a modern psych thriller audience and give us that film because I think that film is hidden in this script shot for shot the way it is just tweak it for a modern perspective and you're fine as carpenter came out of retirement he would nail that right uh god well okay so what what the hell would you give this because okay. i'm really curious all right peter weller's performance is fantastic and gets a and you know it gets a point for peter weller alone lewis del grand is fantastic and gets a point for lewis del grand alone like both of those popped it up step this is not a great film this is not Jaws. It's also not Jaws 3, 
but it's not Jaws. <laughs> This movie for me is a high, almost squeaking into the next bracket, one out of four. That's fair. If you like psychological horror movies and you're familiar with this meta text that I just threw at you, I think you will really enjoy this movie. Even though it is a product of its environment, it is a psychological bottle film that doesn't have terribly good set locations. I like Peter Weller, but if you're doing basically a one-actor performance, oh, Peter Weller is not the right choice. And Not at all. And as much as I like his performance in this movie, I can give you half a dozen actors that would have been a better choice for this movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, not for nothing. Because remember, they were only a couple years apart. Take this movie with that psychological meta text, remove Peter Weller, add Jeffrey Combs, and this is a one out of one. Oh, God. Right? Because he can do everything that Peter Weller did in this movie, and I'm not taking anything away from Peter Weller's performance, but Jeffrey mm -hmm. Combs can do everything that Peter Weller did at about the same level, but then also does demented losing his fucking mind better than anyone in the industry. If there's any character after this role was written for, it's him. Right, right. This movie, Jeffrey Combs in the lead, Dr. Herbert West is financial consultant. This movie makes $5 million at the box office, gets 8 out of 10 scores, and is remembered in the same vein as Reanimator and most of Combs' other work, mm -hmm. as opposed to being a footnote in Peter Weller's and George Cosmatos' repertoires. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it completely changes the film. Obviously, that's not the film that we got. There's no way we can ever get that film. You can't even shoot that film now. But I still think that this is a film that, with its flaws, with the time frame it came out in, with the look and the feel and, and the should-have-better-musical score... I think if you watch it for the meta text of is there really a rat or is he just losing his mind? I think this is a high one out of four film. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. And it's not the movie you first think you're watching. Holy shit. And that's why it worked. The entire <laughs> reason why this, this is his favorite horror film. This is Stephen King's favorite horror movie. Yes. Holy damn. Okay. Wow. <laughs> You can straight up say it's bullshit, and according to the movie that we have, the rat is a rat is a rat. You absolutely can. If that's how you want to view this movie, you know, I think you're choosing to watch a, a less fulfilling film, but you have every right to do so, and I can't tell you that you're wrong. The rat is a rat is a rat. However, if you look at the way it's presented, there is more than enough evidence to argue that there is no rat. Um, and again, the pedigree on the crew, on the producer, on the director, this is the shit that they would have made intentionally. Right. The guy who directed Leviathan, this is absolutely the movie that he would have wanted to do. A man's descent into madness within his own home, separated from everything that keeps him stable and sane. Yes, this is absolutely George Cosmatos' wheelhouse. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm just going to be saying that for a good minute. <laughs> so enjoy watching this movie a second time. At least you're going to get your money's worth out of it. That's true. That's true. Yes, it's already queued up on Amazon Prime because I actually do want to see this again. So uh, once again, we want to thank all of our supporters on Patreon because without the support of our patrons, we would not be able to watch movies like this because neither one of us owned this one. We both had to rent this. I thought I said it initially, <laughs> not worth the rental price. I am so walking that back right now. <laughs> she literally sent me a message, $3 and two hours wasted. And now I she's going to double down. down on it. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> 
So our Patreon shoutouts for today are the Chris's McCurley and Mallory. Thank you both so much for all of your support. Without your support, we wouldn't be able to continue watching movies like this. So thank you very much. If you're interested in, in supporting us, Patreon slash don't watch this film. $1 allows you to vote on our monthly movie polls. $5 gets you shout outs, $10 and $20 lets you, you know, pick movies, stuff like that. There's, there's a level for everybody and everybody for a level. So feel free to support us on there. And once again, thank you very much to all of our patrons. Without you, we could not do this. I just realized of unknown origin makes total sense as the title too, because we still don't have a firm grasp at where psychosis comes from. Yep. I'm going to be doing this consistently. I'm just going to be sending you messages just as I watch this movie going, oh my God, remember this scene? This makes so much sense. Yep. <sighs> Holy shit. And if you don't have a dollar to spare, we understand that is perfectly okay. Thank you so much to our patrons. We have a very active Twitter at don't watch this F, which is going to be so much more active today. I promise you that. <laughs> if you don't have a dollar, but you do have a social media going ahead and following us, commenting, liking, uh, retweeting, all of that boosts engagement which gets more ears on the podcast and i hope to hell a lot of people listen to this one because this is a great episode probably my favorite we've done so far if you can go ahead and support us there it doesn't cost anything but a little bit of time we absolutely appreciate it you are the reason that we do this we are the reason it is a blast and thank you guys so much for staying with us through 16 episodes i think 15, 16 15 this, so far 15. Okay. so 15 this will this will make 16 no this is this is 15 Oh, okay. I can't math either. Because we have two episodes that are only available to $10 patrons and up because they were the test episodes. So Fair we, enough. we have mm -hmm. done 17. The regular audience to the podcast has heard 15. And if you become a patron, you can actually catch those lost episodes. We still yeah. have them uploaded. Yep. That is about it for... Oh, God, I am looking at this movie so differently. Yep. Also, if you want to discuss this movie or anything else, hit us up at dwtfmailbag at gmail.com. So next week, I feel like we're going to be watching something that's a little less open to uh, interpretation. That's a little less has hidden stuff going on in it. Oh, I think that's fair. I think the next time you hear from us will be very, uh, I think campy is the right word. Campy is a good word for that. Campy is a great word for that movie. Uh, but again, much like Unknown Origin, a movie that in my opinion is far better than it has any right being. I actually can't wait to watch that now either, because if it ends up being like Velocipaster, that's going to be an entertaining show too. Yep, I think it's going to be a good. I think it's going to be a fun show. I think it's going to be a good movie. Anyway, thank you all very much for listening. I've got to go do some editing because Tia was absolutely certain that we were going to have trouble going to length on this. And as of this moment in the raw footage, we have hit an hour and 20 minutes. So I've got some editing to do because I gave her an entire extra movie that she didn't know was here. Thank you all very much for listening. My name is, as always, W. Adam Clark. My name is Tia. I got to go pick up the uh, pieces of my broken brain. But until you hear from us again. Don't watch this film.